Who Neutered the Holy Spirit? From FellowshipOfTheMartyrs.com Pages 11, 12, 13, Part 1 So what happened at Pentecost? New Testament people who received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The 120 gathered in the upper room. Acts 1, 15, Acts 2, 4 So was that it? They got saved at Pentecost and received the Holy Spirit? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the same as salvation? How can that be? They were with Jesus. They acknowledged Him as Lord with their own mouths a long time before this. Matthew 16:16. 16, 16. Presumably, somebody had baptized them in water previously, though we're not sure whom. They didn't get the Holy Spirit when they got saved, but they cast out demons and healed the sick. Do you see the problem? If the promised baptism of the Holy Spirit is the same as the Holy Spirit that we receive at salvation, then the apostles, who are the foundation upon which the church is built and the model we're to follow, didn't get saved until the upper room. And how do you account for people that got saved but didn't get the baptism of the Holy Spirit until someone laid hands on them? Acts 8, 15-20 Is there a way that you can get saved but not receive any of the Holy Spirit? That would be bad. We really need to answer that one. There's no way to walk a Christian walk without the Holy Spirit. So if something can happen where we say and pray all the right stuff and really mean it, but don't get the Holy Spirit, it would sure be good to know that so that we can avoid it. But if the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an empowering event and not a redemptive event, then they can be two separate things and all of this starts to make more sense. In fact, Jesus told them to go into all the world and spread the gospel. They had been with him, they had even healed people and cast out demons and preached the gospel. But that didn't keep Peter from denying him three times, and all the other apostles from scattering like sheep when the shepherd was struck. But Jesus told them specifically, after giving them the Great Commission, to not go anywhere until the fire fell on them. Had they not seen Jesus? Were they not redeemed? Were they not able to be witnesses? Why wait? Why not go now? Because they lacked the fire that would transform them, and they needed to wait and pray for it, in harmony, all together. And it wasn't a one-time thing, either. Instances of being refilled with the Holy Spirit after Pentecost. The disciples again, including Peter and John, in Acts 4.31 the disciples and all with them again in Acts 13.52. You see, it's not a fixed quantity. It's not an on-off switch, like you either have some Holy Spirit or you don't. They had increasing quantity. They got filled more than once. The Word says to be being filled, Ephesians 5.18. That means in a constant state of pouring out on others and getting refilled yourself. And some must have had bigger capacities for the Holy Spirit than others. If you want your shadow healing people, you better have a cup like an oil tanker and keep it full all the time. The handkerchiefs that touched Paul's body were healing people. That's a big cup of miracle-working Holy Spirit power there. Not all of them had that big a capacity. I wonder why. Could we get a cup that big? So was it just that one time at Pentecost that anybody got that kind of empowering? other people receiving the Holy Spirit after Pentecost. The seven deacons were either filled at Pentecost or soon after, Acts 6, 3-5. Barnabas was either filled at Pentecost or soon after, Acts eleven twenty four. The Samaritan believers who were saved but hadn't received the Spirit yet, Acts eight fifteen through 20 Paul, when Ananias laid hands on him, Acts 9, 17, Acts 13, 9. The Gentiles in the house of Cornelius, 
Acts 10, 44-47, 8 The believers in Ephesus, when Paul laid hands on them, Acts 19, 2-6. Not to mention the evidence of people in city churches elsewhere, like Corinth and Rome, that later needed instruction on the gifts, which must mean that the gifts were operating there, which must mean that they got the Holy Spirit, and they couldn't have all been in the upper room. Here's some things the Holy Spirit did after Pentecost told Peter that Ananias and Sapphira had lied, Acts 5, talked to Philip and sent him to teach the eunuch, Acts 8.29, picked up people and transported them elsewhere, Acts 8.39, comforted the churches, Acts 9.31, gave Peter visions and talked to him, Acts 10.19, Acts 11.12, told about a famine that was coming, Acts 11.28, told other people to tell Paul things, Acts 21.4, mighty signs and wonders, Romans 15.19, 1 Corinthians 2.4, Galatians 3.5, revealed deep mysteries of God to men, 1 Corinthians 2, 10-14, Ephesians 1, 17, Ephesians 3, 5, dwelt within people, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, Galatians 4, 6, gave spiritual gifts to every person, 1 Corinthians 12, joins us all in Christ's body, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 2 Corinthians 4, 13, Ephesians 2, 18, Ephesians 4, 4, prays through our mouths directly to God, 1 Corinthians 14, 2, Galatians 4, 6, Ephesians 6, 18, Jude 1, 20-21, sings through us, 1 Corinthians 14, 15, gives liberty, 2 Corinthians 3, 17, changes us into the image of our Lord, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, makes us a temple for God, Ephesians 2, 22, established church doctrine, Acts 15, 28, strengthens us in our inner man, Ephesians 3, 16, spoke through Peter to the elders of Israel, Acts 4, 8, gave Stephen a vision and gave strength to endure martyrdom, Acts 7:55, restored Paul's vision, Acts 9:17, told Paul specifically about the last days, 1 Timothy 4, 1, helps purify our souls and love the brethren, 1 Peter 1, 22, gave John visions and interpretations and spoke to him, Revelation 1.10, Revelation 4.2, Revelation 14.13, sent messages to the churches, Revelation 2.7, 2.11, 2.17, 2.29, 3.6, will one day raise the two witnesses from the dead, Revelation 11.11, calls out with the bride to all them that are thirsty, Revelation 22.17, specifically spoke to the elders in Antioch to send out Paul and Barnabas, Acts 13.2-4 specifically forbid Paul from preaching in Asia at that moment, Acts 16.6, wouldn't allow Paul to go to Bithynia, Acts 16.17, told Paul to expect persecution and bondage, Acts 20.22-25, made people speak in tongues and or prophesy, Acts 2.4, Acts 10.46, Acts 19.6, assigns those who are to be servants and shepherds to the church, Acts 20.28, warned Paul through the Tyrian disciples not to go to Jerusalem, Acts 21.4, spoke through Agabus warning Paul not to go to Jerusalem, Acts 21.11. This list above includes all of the nine manifestation gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, 1-11, and then some. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-11, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord, and there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. 
For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one, and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Just to clarify, the nine manifestation gifts listed here are word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. If those things ceased when the Bible was completed, or when the last apostle died, which ones ceased? Faith? We don't have faith anymore? Like the kind of faith that would let you endure torture and martyrdom and being burned or tortured without renouncing your faith. The kind of super freaky, over-the-top, God-inspired faith that you just know that you know that you know that God is in control and everything is going to be okay. And why would that have ended? We don't need that anymore? So if I can find an instance, any instance, of someone after the last apostle exhibiting this kind of freakish gift of faith, wouldn't that prove that it didn't end? That's an easy one. Millions have been martyred and endured devastatingly painful torture and horrible circumstances without denying their faith. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs and tell me that faith like that has ended. Read about Richard Wormbrandt or Brother Yun in China and tell me that the gift of faith has ended. Or go watch this, www.gfa.org slash Joseph. Continued in Part 2. Who Neutered the Holy Spirit? From fellowshipofthemartyrs.com Part 2 of So What Happened at Pentecost? Page 13, 14, and 15. What about Word of Wisdom? That's not just saying something wise. That's a pure godly wisdom that is spoken for the edification of the body at the right moment so as to build up and make complete the people of God. Like when Solomon said to cut the baby in half, that was so pure and clean and right to the very heart of the matter that it had to be God-breathed. 1 Kings 3.25 That was a word of wisdom. So we don't have that anymore? And we don't need it. Why? I think we have a desperate shortage of wisdom in the church. How could God be the one benefiting the most by eliminating that one? Surely Satan is most glorified when we lack godly wisdom. The word says that if we seek wisdom, the Lord will give liberally and without reproach. James 1.5 Even if we abused it last time, he'll give us more. So how could it be dead? I'm just pretty sure that a demon whispered this theology to somebody because we're to test the spirits and take captive every thought and bring it into obedience with Christ. And I can't figure any way that Jesus would say something like that supernatural, God-given wisdom and faith are dead and unavailable to us anymore. That sure sounds like Satan to me. If the only true wisdom that is available to us today is in the Word of God, then why don't all those megachurch pastors stop writing books? What about discernment of spirits? That's the ability to see into the spiritual realms and accurately tell the good guys from the bad guys, to see what is happening in the real world and know how to address it. Okay, God doesn't want us to have this anymore. Why? There's not a war between good and evil still going on? We don't need to accurately target and eliminate the enemy? Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities and wickedness in high places, but we don't need to see them or know what they're up to? Ephesians 6.12 Huh. Who benefits most by a theology that says demons are not real, or that we can't see them, and the weapons of spiritual warfare that were entrusted to us aren't good anymore? Who benefits most by a theology that says if you talk about Satan or demons, then you're bringing them glory and denying the power of God? And how come that didn't apply to Jesus? He talked about them all the time. In the war room in the Pentagon, they're never going to talk about Osama bin Laden or some other enemy for fear of accidentally worshipping them?
This is a war. I want to know where they sleep, what they eat, how they act, how they attack, and most importantly, how to crush them into mush. Who benefits most from a theology that says they're not really there or we're not to talk about them? I got to think it's the bad guys. Are you getting this? I'm just pretty sure that a demon made up this stupid theology because it does not glorify God in any way for him to declare war and then for us to deny we have weapons or intelligence gathering systems or radios to headquarters. What about tongues and interpretation of tongues? Together, they're prophecy, and Paul says we're to seek prophecy, 1 Corinthians 14.1. Acts 2, 38 and 39 said it was a gift for all generations. This ended why? We don't need to know the languages of other peoples to evangelize anymore. We have over 3,000 language groups on this planet with not a single word of the Bible in their language and no sign on the horizon that we're going to reach them, but we don't need supernatural linguistic skills anymore. So if that ended, but I can show you examples of people who supernaturally were given other languages of man, what does that mean? Never mind arguing about the stickier issue of whether tongues are of men and or of angels. If we can show evidence of a man supernaturally getting a linguistic package from God to be used to speak to a group about Jesus, that would qualify. And if it happened after the last apostle died, then the cessationists are all wet. Do you see how hard this argument is to sustain? If we can find even one instance of any of these gifts still being in operation, then they did not end and they're still available to us today. And unless God is a respecter of persons, then they're available to us today in as big a quantity as they ever were to anyone. Jesus himself said we would do greater things than he did. John 14:12. Here's the first horse teeth reality check. I happened to be personally acquainted with one lady in South Africa whom the Lord called to preach in English, but she didn't speak English. So she prayed, and the Lord gave her English. You're welcome to email her about it and see if you think she's lying, and you can reach her through www.mercygate.com. I'm also aware through another friend that runs a small international ministry of a dear friend of his and ministry partner from Cambodia who was also miraculously given English when they prayed soon after the Bataan death march so that someone could go to the U.S. Embassy and petition for asylum for a group of new Christians. I personally know people that have given messages to other people in perfect Japanese, Russian, and other languages they didn't know, or didn't even know that they were praying loud enough for anyone to hear them, but it was the gospel being preached to someone next to them on the elevator or something. When tongues showed up on January 1st, 1901 at William Parms Bible School in Topeka, Kansas, the students there were speaking languages of man previously unknown to them, including Chinese. It was documented and verified by newspaper reporters. The same at the Azusa Street Revival a few years later. Look it up. Read the old newspapers. Get out of your box and go investigate without your blinders on. And how about these? 150 A.D. Justin Martyr wrote, For the prophetical gifts remain with us, even to this present time. Dialogue with Trifo, chapter 82. And, he wrote, Now it is possible to see amongst us women and men who possess gifts of the Spirit of God. Again in chapter 82. 175 A.D. Arrhenius, in his treatise Against Heresies, speaks of those who through the Spirit speak all kinds of languages. Against Heresies, book 2, chapter 4. Circa 230 A.D. Novatian said... This is he who places prophets in the church, instructs teachers, directs tongues, gives powers and healings, does wonderful works, often discrimination of spirits, affords powers of government, suggests counsels, and orders and arranges whatever other gifts there are of charismata, and thus make the Lord's church everywhere and in all perfected and completed. Treatise Concerning the Trinity, Chapter 29. 
circa 340 A.D., Hilary of Poitiers wrote, For God hath set same in the church, first apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers, next mighty works, among which are the healing of diseases, and gifts of either speaking or interpreting diverse kinds of tongues. Clearly these are the church's agents of ministry and work of whom the body of Christ consists, and God has ordained them. On the Trinity, Volume 8, Chapter 33, Circa 390 A.D., Augustine of Hippo, in an exposition on Psalm 32, discusses a phenomenon contemporary to his time of those who sing in jubilation, singing the praises of God, not in their own language, but in a manner that may not be confined by the limits of syllables. On Psalm 32, Ena rationes in Salmos 32, 2, Sermo 1, 8. If you seek truth, you will find that this gift is alive and well and in practice, both for evangelism and for personal edification. If speaking in tongues edifies the individual, don't you need more edifying? I know that I need all the edifying I can get. Don't rely on the theoretical, dogmatic arguments, like arguing about how many teeth a horse has. Go look around and you'll see that nearly all of the growth in the church worldwide is in the charismatic segment. The mainline denominations aren't even keeping up with population growth. Yes, there are excesses and misuses and abuses and counterfeits, but that doesn't mean it's not real. It just means this is a war and the enemy is really good at misdirection and propaganda and misinformation and demoralization of our troops. If the Holy Spirit can pray for you, through you, isn't it just prideful to think that you can pray in English better than the third of the Godhead that lives in you can pray for you? Don't you think maybe you ought to get out of his way and let him pray however he wants to? It's really just that easy. It's not an on-off switch. It's a dial. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, then He's trying to get out somehow. It may be weeping or groaning or singing or some language you don't know. Maybe He'll pray through you in English, but it will be so pretty and perfect and dead on that you just know it wasn't really you in control. He's going to find a way to get out, but the less you put Him in a box, the better. If you've got Jesus and you want to pray in tongues, just say you're sorry for telling him it wasn't real, let him know you're willing, and ask him to teach you to pray in whatever way he thinks would be the most effective for his kingdom and bring him the most glory. It may also help to have someone else pray with you. It's the same with all the gifts. If they are still available, then we need them. This is a war. It always was. So if the enemy is a deceiver and liar and a cheat, and anything he has is a cheap counterfeit of what God has, and the enemy has spells and familiar spirits and mediums and psychics and astral projection and zombies, then where's our stuff? We used to have people getting healed and seeing angels and prophets and theoportation and even people getting raised from the dead. So if this is a war, how come they get to keep all their cool toys and we lost ours? That doesn't seem fair. Who would benefit most if giant chunks of our team decided that the war was actually over, the enemy wasn't real, and or we didn't have weapons anymore? I gotta think the bad guys probably made up that bit of propaganda. I can't figure any way that it glorifies God. It sure looks like we're losing this war. Anybody that is actually dangerous to Satan acknowledges that he's real, and they're taking him on by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everybody that is sitting off to the side pretending there is no war has already been co-opted. Jesus said if you were like him, all the powers of hell would come gunning for you. He wasn't kidding. We had someone place curses and ritually sacrifice a cat in front of our furniture store during a prayer meeting. How many animals have been sacrificed in front of your church? If nobody's shooting at you, then you're not dangerous. Who neutered the Holy Spirit? From fellowshipofthemartyrs.com Pages 17, 18, and 19 So why should we really want the Holy Spirit? Don't we already have the fullness of the Holy Spirit if we're saved? 
Well, I'll leave it to you to decide if you have all the Holy Spirit you can hold. If you're so jam-packed full of Jesus that nothing else can fit, and it's just splashing out the top and sprinkling all the people around you. Since I don't think, since I don't think it's a fixed quantity and a one-time thing, I'm not going to be satisfied until I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind, a new creation in Christ, a fearless witness for the gospel, and my shadow is healing people. What's the payoff? What was promised to us? Well, here's a list. You decide if you think we are currently getting the full benefits of all of these. Promises about the Holy Spirit. Jesus would come to baptize with the Holy Spirit and or with fire. Matthew 3.11, Mark 1.8, Luke 3.16, John 1.33, Acts 1.5, Acts 11.16. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for all generations. Acts 2.38 and 39. The baptism of the Holy Spirit will give the necessary power for witnessing. Acts 1.8. God gives the Holy Spirit to all those who obey Him, Acts 5.32. God confirms the gospel and our salvation by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Hebrews 2.2-4. 2, 2 the Holy Spirit will write God's laws on our heart, Hebrews 10.14-17. The need for and possibility of regeneration, John 3.6. If you're led by the Spirit, you'll be like the wind, John 3.8. The promise of the Holy Spirit being given to us all. John 14:17, 15:26, 16:13, Acts 2:17-18. If you live according to the Spirit, you are free from condemnation and the flesh. Romans 8:1, Romans 8:9, Galatians 5:16-24, Galatians 6:8, Philippians 3:3, 1 Peter 3:18. The Spirit makes us free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8:2. If you are led by the Spirit of God, you are the Son of God. Romans 8:14. When we don't know what to pray, the Spirit will pray for us. Romans 8, 26 and 27. The Spirit will wash and sanctify and justify us all. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, Romans 15, 16, Titus 3, 5. The Spirit is the down payment on our future glory. 2 Corinthians 5, 5. That the Spirit is for all people. Galatians 3, 14. Much fruit results from following the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 to 24. The Spirit will teach us all things and lead us to truth. John 14:26, 1 Corinthians 2:13. The Spirit will teach us how to wield the sword, which is the word. Ephesians 6:17. When you don't know what to say, he'll give you the words. Mark 13:11, Luke 12:12. 12, 12. We can know we are his by the Holy Spirit in us. 1 John 3:24. 1 John 4:13. The Spirit will show us truth because he is truth. 1 John 5, 6. The Spirit helps us to keep in guard that good which was committed to us. 2 Timothy 1, 14. The Holy Spirit spreads the love of God abroad through us. Romans 5, 5. The Holy Spirit gives us joy and peace and righteousness and hope. Romans 14, 17. Romans 15, 13. The Holy Spirit will confirm the true gospel when preached. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 6. 1 Peter 1, 12. The Holy Spirit will flow up from inside of you and satisfy your thirst. John seven thirty seven to 39 Wow, that's a lot of stuff. Are you seeing miracles around you confirming your walk with God? Are you full of peace and joy and victory? Have you overcome sin? We're all sinners, but we don't have to stay that way. The Word says we're a new creation and that the Spirit of God will write His law on our hearts and keep us from sinning. He justifies and sanctifies and leads us in the paths of righteousness. Is that what your life is like? Is the Holy Spirit your teacher? Or are you listening to men? Now certainly the Holy Spirit can speak through other people. We're one body and we're supposed to avail ourselves of those people that are given as gifts to the church to teach and preach and gently correct. But ultimately we should only listen to them when Jesus is coming out of their mouth. Not self or flesh or man-made stuff. 
First and foremost, we need to have the kind of relationship with God where He can direct all of our paths and we can hear His voice loud and clear. And for that, you need to be walking in holiness and complete commitment to Him. And for that, you need the Holy Spirit. There's no way to walk in holiness on your own power. So how do we do this? Do we have any instructions? Yes. These listed are just a very few. The main thing is that he doesn't want to share space with all your icky stuff. You have got to get washed clean by true repentance to make room, and then hunger and thirst for as big a quantity of the Holy Spirit as you can get. Instructions about the Holy Spirit. Be being filled continually. Ephesians 5.18 Stir up the gift of God that is in you. 2 Timothy 1.6 Be good dispensers one into another of the gifts entrusted to you. 1 Peter 4.10 It's not a one-time thing. You need to be filled all the time and in ever-increasing quantity so that you won't be ineffective for the gospel. 1 Peter 1 However much you had yesterday, it was just enough to get through the trials of that day. If God is going to continue to stretch you, then you're going to need more of Him every day. I can't muster up wisdom or long-suffering or brotherly kindness. There's no good thing in me except Jesus. If I need to be more of those things, then He needs to pour it into me because there is no other source for it. And the mechanism by which those things are transferred is by the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to test the spirits all the time and be sure that you're only getting the good stuff. There are also counterfeits out there. Remember, this is a war against the greatest liar in history. Expect him to be sneaky and underhanded and try to use our own assets against us and try to turn our victories into defeats. His favorite thing is getting us to turn on and devour each other. And we're such stupid sheep, we've been playing right into the enemy's hands. You need to stir up the gift and keep what you have in motion and never bury it in the sand or put a bushel on it or hide it under a bed. And you need to share with each as they have a need, constantly pouring out all that you have and getting a fresh filling. That way the whole of the body is equipped and lifted up toward maturity. That way we're bonded together and they will know us by our love, by our freakish sacrificial willingness to give of anything that we have, even our best stuff which is our treasure in heaven, not just our earthly goods. We're to share with each as they have a need, whatever we have. It really